Hi, and welcome to the Happiness of Pursuit podcast, the audio experience where we welcome founders, business leaders, and forward thinkers that follow their inevitable and undeniable path to business growth and personal growth. This is their story of how they continuously develop themselves, inspire others, and find joy in the pursuit. to another episode of the happiness of pursuit for this episode we welcome Mascon, a happiness and design researcher who has published his research about happiness within organizations and that's a topic very close to my heart so i'm very happy that you're here mas welcome thank you so much for having me maybe you can tell a little bit more about yourself and how you got into researching happiness within organizations sure uh, thank you so much, Yuma, and I'm also really glad that uh, this topic is also close to your heart. Um, a little bit of introduction or slight background is that uh, my actual background is in mechanical engineering, but I ended up uh, here in the Netherlands at TU Delft in the field of uh, design or strategy design. Um, the reason, because I followed my happiness and that led me to this project as well, I didn't feel comfortable or happy are motivated uh, in the world of engineering. Um, myself, I saw myself as a as a design or creative person, so I wanted to uh, leap into that field. I ended up here. Here I discovered TU Delft has a Delft Institute of Positive Design that was led by Professor Peter Desmet. I got really passionate about this topic and eventually I started talking with him. He had this immense research with um, another colleague of his, Stephen Falkinga, and they have come up with this human experience catalog, which is just a typology of different uh, human related things. Uh, one page is dedicated to uh, fundamental needs for happiness or generally uh, human needs that are required to fulfill, to be fulfilled in order to be happy. So I took that as a really interesting uh, typology that this can be used in so many things. And uh, Peter also had the idea that you can use them in so many different social systems to do something about happiness. And parallel to this, I've always had this question that all my friends or colleagues or peers uh, not okay, maybe one out of 10 uh, is, is all right with it, but the rest of them will never be happy to wake up for a Monday to go to work. They will always complain that, oh, I have to wake up tomorrow to go to work. And I always questioned that, that why can't you just be super happy and enthusiastic? Because I was, I was always really happy to get up to go to university because what I was studying, what I was doing, the projects, I, it, it just sparked me. It, that was my spark. That was my passion. So that's the background of how this project that started that, okay, happiness, those 13 needs, let's see how we can use them to improve the happiness of employees, of people within organizations so that uh, eventually, literature tells us that allows you to thrive in creativity, productivity, efficiency. Everything is positively affected. So, yeah, I think that's something I, or an experience I really share is that a lot of friends are really who are really close to me also have the same experience. So they go to their job and they think, OK, or they are all right with it. And it's not really a contribution to their happiness. Yeah. And it's just something they feel like they have to do. 
um, or exactly. they are just very, very unhappy with what mm -hmm. they are doing. And there's always this, I think, kind of vague perception around the word happiness. So <laughs> I think it might help to uh, clarify, at least from your perspective, what you think is happiness. That is actually in itself, uh, when you say happiness, you always uh, bring up this word perspective. So that's exactly what it is uh, for me, at least, and uh, based on all the research that I did. Uh, there are so many definitions out there, like uh, so many authors have come up with their own uh, researches and definitions of what happiness is. Then there are these big paradigms or mindsets in the world of happiness. There's eudaimonia and then there's hedonism. Um, one of them is hedonism is that this immediate pleasure that you get, uh, for example, you're just enjoying this cup of coffee and you're feeling so happy. And the other one is the long-term happiness. For example, you help someone uh, on the way, um, like uh, the human aid or just uh, help someone with money that they really needed it. So these, this moral way of helping or achievement, you uh, passed an exam that was really hard to you. Uh, so these kind of things give you a long-term happiness and they add to your um, genuine and true well-being. But all of this research, I just put it aside and I focused more on researching people. I asked people qualitative way of doing this research and I ended up knowing that happiness is a perspective. It really depends on person to person what happiness means to them. So for example doing this podcast might be bringing happiness to you and me, but maybe some for some people, a podcast is, is something that they would not enjoy or that they would uh, actually feel unhappy and uncomfortable and frustrated. So we can't say that podcast can bring you happiness because that we cannot generalize this because it will be different for every person. So to make it easy, I would say that every person goes through different past experiences. They have different set of memories. Their mind has this whole network of information that creates their perception on happiness. The only thing we can do is inquire about that. We can try to understand in a context that this certain group of people sees happiness in this certain way. And that's how we do it through the 13 needs. Does it make sense a little bit? That that definitely makes sense. Thank you for that clarification. I totally agree. It's always a perspective, um, happiness. And for the one person, it's something totally different than for the other one. You also talk about the difference in perspective, like seeing this issue as in happiness from a philosophical and phenomenological perspective. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Sure. So uh, the philosophical way is, of course, like all the definitions that I said that are already out there. So starting from Aristotle to up till now, uh, there's been uh, yeah so many um, research and developments on, on happiness, but it has still been very vague. You also said that. So a better way to approach is, is to not use philosophy, but actually use what you can ask people about happiness or what you can just learn from people and uh, a little bit of science in there. So that's why I use the word science of happiness in my research as well, because I really, uh, I, I dived into this uh, cognitive sciences and social behavior and these kind of things. And that's where this phenomenology 
thing comes in. It's just a way of doing a research that you just keep asking people why, why, why questions. So if I ask you, what's, what's one product that brings you happiness and you would just pick up a pen and I will ask why, you will see because it helps me um, write quickly. Why then I want to write quickly so that I can take notes quickly. Why? So that I can take in information quickly. Like you just keep in, keep on asking these why, why questions and they ultimately lead you to this abstract phenomena. So those phenomena can be, for example, a pen is maybe helping you be autonomous. So you don't need anybody else's help to make you understand what the lecturer was saying. So you can just immediately take your own notes. So autonomy is something that's important to you and brings you happiness. So in the same way, there are so many other phenomena that we also call needs. Uh, so that's the way how we are, I try to explore happiness uh, in my research. And, and you've introduced that there are 13 fundamental needs. Can you- Sorry, um, I will just cut. Uh, those 13 needs are already, uh, were already there. So Peter Desmet's immense research goes into that when he came up with those 13 needs. Okay, that's, that's, uh, that's good to add. Um, yeah. Wh what are those 13 needs and how do they relate to your research? Yeah, so, he came up with those 13 needs was actually uh, through uh, a lot of uh, literature studies. So there's already this concept of needs is already out there. The most famous one are Maslow's need permit. Then there are so many other models of needs as well. So uh, he and Stefan really looked into all of these models and um, categorized a different set of needs. I took these 13 um, categories or 13 needs and uh, with Peter, we also discussed that let's uh, use the metaphor of jars. So just imagine these as 13 jars that you have in your room or in your life that you constantly need to make sure that all of them are filled up to a certain level. So for example, let's take autonomy again. Your autonomy levels are going to 20% or 10%. Then you need to do something about it to bring them back to 50 or 60 I'm not saying 100 because 100 person autonomy will actually cause negative effects. They will make you this lone wolf. They will uh, make you unable to work in teams. So you need to make sure that all these jars are not 100 percent full and they're not, of course, zero percent full. So just an optimum level. And just using this whole concept, I put it in a context. So the context was organizations, employees. So um, how do they make sure their jars are being filled? How do they make sure that they are aware of what's wrong, what's not? And it turned out that most of the times they're not even aware of these things. So then my research took a different route and I started working on ways to first make them aware and then carry out the rest of the process. And how would you know how full someone's jar should be for an example, uh, for the autonomy need? Because for an example, I see myself as a creative, uh, extroverted, entrepreneurial type of personality. And I would say my uh, autonomy jar should be yeah. a little bit fuller than most people's jar uh, for autonomy would be. Yeah, um, that is a good question because, again, the same uh, thing comes in that happiness is a perspective. So if we just keep uh, dragging that uh, philosophy uh, forward. So we will say that we will never be able to do something about happiness for people because it's so subjective. It's so individual. 
that you can't introduce a generalized um, concept or a generalized initiative that will help a group of people. Uh, but yeah, we do want to do something uh, about that. So what we do is that's why we introduce these co contexts. So for example, generally as a person, uh, you might want a lot of autonomy in your life. But if I put you in the context of, um, I don't know, for example, synchronized swimming, uh, there you don't uh, really, um, you wouldn't want your autonomy to be filled completely because it's a team effort, it's a group effort. So you want to rely on other people to do their job perfectly. You, they rely on you. So as an, if I put you in a certain context, then this, this level filling uh, thing shifts. So that's when you extrapolate it to generally, like if someone is in a, a school or a college, and if someone is working in healthcare in a hospital, so their ways of fulfilling these needs will be very different. Even if both people share the same personality, they both are very extroverted and outgoing. But if I put them in a context of a hospital, and if I put them in a context of a school, uh, it will be really different how the needs get fulfilled and how much uh, should be fulfilled. So what did you do with your approach for your own research with that perspective? How did you research uh, actual happiness within organizations? Or I just went out. Yeah, yeah, I just went out there and I asked people. So I uh, systematic. There had to be some structure and systems. So I actually recruited four different uh, cases. Uh, for me, the cases were different organizations. Can you give an example of, of one of those moments where you realized, okay, just like initiating my research and talking to these yeah. people, these employees about happiness as a subject that's uh, interested to them already sparked like meaningful conversations and eventually yeah. more happy employees. So what happened was actually first step was uh, what I call awareness that first they got to know about these 30 needs. They didn't know, like generally everybody knows these are very generic, like belonging and uh, comfort and uh, um, uh, community, like these kind of things, but we just put words to them. So we give a tool to have a conversation. So first they got aware of what these different 13 words are and what do they mean? And everybody knew the same meaning of those. And how did they know the same meaning? Because we had this alignment session where everybody shared their point of view on what uh, autonomy means to them, what belonging means to them. And at the end of that session, everybody was on the same page that, okay, this is what this means. And then that automatically sparks these conversations because now they have um, a tangible way of telling someone, I'm not feeling happy. I'm not feeling comfortable. Uh, for example, a moment was that they, uh, there was one team. Uh, it was a design team, actually, of a bank. And they always have breakfast together. Like they start their day uh, with breakfast and then the actual working day starts. Um, that allows them to be on time. Everybody's uh, always there for breakfast, feeling actually motivated that, oh yeah, I'm go not gonna go directly and sit and check my emails, but I'm actually gonna start my day talking with people about how my day was yesterday and having breakfast. And it allows them to just come together, start a day very nicely. So it was actually adding to a lot of the needs, belonging and um, I think relatedness, and there was two others. Um, what they realized based on that the conversation started that uh, oh look how much this is actually doing a lot to us so their 
head of the team was also in the group. And it turned out he was actually thinking of um, discontinuing this activity because he thought this is just taking too much of, um, this is putting too much pressure on people that they always have to bring their breakfast at work. They have to be on time. He thought it was putting a negative effect, but it turned out after the conversation that they saw the value of it and they ended up deciding not to discontinue that. So could you and have you used the same process in very different kind of working environments with very different kind of cultures? Yes, because my four different cases actually were four very different uh, group of people. Uh, one of them were Dutch uh, working in a very administrative role, so uh, as secretaries and uh, doing administrative tasks. One of them, this was a digital design team for a bank. Um, then another of them were uh, these really young group of people uh, having a startup and uh, starting a different um, in a different environment. And the, the, the Spanish ones were all uh, international team, but living in Spain and uh, also their kind of working uh, dynamics were different because actually two of them were almost gonna get laid off. So they were already not happy at all. So it was really interesting to see uh, one group of people is just doing so good. The startup people, they were so happy. They were feeling like a family together. And on the other hand, the other group was just feeling so disconnected with their company, feeling so, um, yeah, um, negative about it. So how does your research contribute to, you know, the insights also from that different kind of working environment perspective? Did you, what, was it your goal to actually also point out the differences in culture that can contribute to someone's happiness and if it's actually a right fit with someone's personality? Yeah, that's actually interesting. And I actually, uh, yeah, did consider a lot of these options because the data I got was so rich in qualitative nature. I could, yeah, extract so much out of it. But um, at the end of the day, I used my uh, philosophy to anchor me in all my decisions that Happiness is, again, something very subjective. It's uh, based on perception. So I, as a designer, or I, as a facilitator, or any agency or group of people who claim that they can do something about happiness, they can't do anything about someone's happiness. Like, they can't claim that they will increase it. All they can do is make the other group of people or the uh, people in context um, aid them or facilitate them in their journey to make themselves happy. So my project is only based at the scope of it is to give a process to make it as easy as anybody in any social context can just uh, learn these 13 needs, apply them on themselves, have these little sessions. And at the end of the day, they themselves will come up with their own insights that in our working culture, in our context, this is what works, this is what doesn't work. So they don't need any external uh, influence or external person coming in and saying that, if you do this, you will be happy. They know it better themselves. So that was the philosophy that I used. So in the start, it feels like a chore a little bit, but once you've gone through it one or two times, it becomes automatic. It's like, a mindset that gets infused in people that they just keep on thinking in terms of this. 
Exactly. So that was I the think, aim. I think that's a very interesting point because I, I've been working in a corporate environment for quite some years and I've never in all those years had a moment that we did, we followed the process like this and process of consciousness about, you know, yeah. if you're happy in your current work environment and what what is it then that contributes to your happiness or yeah. your unhappiness? Um, and I think that would be of great value, but the reality is that in most corporate environments, definitely, I can uh, confirm that, uh, most people have become more like human doings instead <laughs> of human beings and are not really aware even about the fact that they're very unhappy in their job. So what, what, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, uh, I actually saw that a little bit, like when I was also doing these interviews, that in the start, it was, it, there were these hard walls that I had to break first in order to get them to uh, think and tell me uh, what happiness means to them at work. Uh, in the start, there were really generic answers that, yeah, I don't, I don't mind. I will just go home and watch a movie and then everything will be fine or things like these. Like they don't really, uh, as you said, that it's just a doing that they're um, thinking of their work as that they go and uh, be productive, do something. And they don't really take this as a source of their happiness. Um, but eventually when you, I would say, just make them aware of how many things that they do at work actually contribute to their happiness. And um, you already know that we already spend like one thirds of our lives at work and we start ignoring the fact that that can actually become a big, big influence on my well-being. It's not only about being productive, but it's actually a source of my happiness. It's a source of my, it can be a source of your um, belonging, for example. Like no one really thinks of fulfilling their need of belonging from work. They always think of family or friends or relationships, but it can be a very big source of fulfilling belonging. You can feel a part of the company. The company can make sure you feel not just an employee, but you actually feel a big part that who is making an impact. So these kind of things, I think, um, can actually add so much to your uh, mental state. And um, I, yeah, I, as you said, I'm not also sure that how a corporate world can begin to uh, infuse these concepts, but hopefully it can get somewhere. Maybe it all starts with being aware about it yourself, because my experience is also talking to a lot of colleagues, but also in the aftermath of working at the corporate where I also had a serious period where I was really unhappy because I was very stressful and had the feeling I was doing something I shouldn't be doing. But yeah. I iterated on that and I translated that those thoughts after my corporate period and also posted a blog uh, about it uh, uh, on LinkedIn. Yeah. The reactions that I got were astonishing because a lot of people opened up to me at least on one-on-one about exactly. they, them being very unhappy in their current position in the same organization, but also at, uh, at other organizations. Um, isn't there like a taboo around being unhappy in the first place and maybe especially about being unhappy in, in your workplace. Yeah, of course there is. Like, uh, in fact, happiness and unhappiness actually comes in later. There's a big taboo around uh, like your mental state or mental illness. So even if someone's 
actually in fact feeling uh, mentally uh, unhealthy, they will also not approach uh, help or it's almost too late when you think of uh, approaching uh, for help. We saw that a lot in uh, our university as well, that so many times um, the students or uh, yeah, my peers actually, when they decide to approach for help or support, it's their advice is always that I should have gone earlier. Like you don't delay it, always um, just hey, be proactive about it. So when you see this taboo around your mental illness, then happiness is actually just a thing that no one thinks about that unless or until your mental health starts getting affected. So my whole uh, theory for this and generally as well, that why not from the start, just uh, try to avoid this uh, root problem and not lead to the, uh, the point where your mental health starts getting uh, deteriorated. Um, and I think, as you also said, that it's about awareness, but I would add to that, that it's also more about the organization or the uh, corporate company or uh, whatever the social system is empowering the people. So giving them the opportunity to, once they're aware of these things, that they can do something about it. They don't have to wait for the management to bring an initiative to them, or they don't have to, uh, for example, you also, uh, I think I read it in your blog as well, that you became uh, prone to your manage, uh, manager's uh, approval, like their appraisals, uh, that they have to say something good. And like these kind of things, you don't have to rely on your management or your company to do something that you are empowered enough to do something about it yourself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that it's important enough what you're doing and that you actually see the impact that it has on the eventual customer. Instead exactly. of doing yeah. it for, like you say, the appraisal of your managers, which is not a really satisfactory kind of feeling. And it's no. definitely not a sustainable way of working because you feel like you're doing it for people who are not really caring uh, about it exactly. for, the, for yeah. the right reasons. That's actually um, uh, the, the thing that you're talking about now is the need of impact. I just remembered. And see, that's what I mean by how these needs or these phenomena open up the, uh, the door to these meaningful conversations that generally, if I uh, just giving it as an example, that if I would have asked you, uh, why are you not happy at work at, at that time, you would be just uh, vaguely answering yeah because I'm um, relying on my managers for the approval and these 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 things but now when I put a word to it that it's actually because your need of impact is uh, being harmed so that gives you a tool to bring this topic to your uh, superiors or to other people who can do something about it in your uh, company as well that hey this group of people in this department, their impact levels are actually falling down. So let's do something about it. So it's just a way of opening this door of meaningful conversation that you put words to it, you make them tangible and uh, they're tested and proven. So no one can question that. Okay, impact is falling down. Let's do something about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that would have been of great value, I think, to uh, go through the uh, 13 fundamental needs also as a, as a reflection on yeah. the work experience. What I've also seen and keep on seeing also with friends of mine um, who are telling me the stories of what they are, their managers uh, also say to them is that there are a lot of people in organizations who just say work shouldn't be fun, you know, <laughs> you should 
do just what whatever you have to do in your job. Yeah, that's also very interesting. And actually, that reminds me of one of the cases that I did, uh, which was of the startup here in the Netherlands. Uh, as I told you, there were a young group of people and they were feeling very much uh, connected with each other and actually having a lot of fun. I think I laughed so much in their group sessions. They had so many of these fun moments in there. But it turned out when we were discussing more and more about their insights. So there's this need for uh, structure as well, like order in life, having structure. Um, they were lacking a lot of that. And they didn't care, actually didn't realize until it was there on the screen and they read through the, the insights and they were like, oh yeah, there's a lot of uh, elements that are harming our structure. And then they started talking about that and they realized that the most of the, uh, not a problem, but just the lack of structure is because they're so uh, happy together. They're like a family together. So they're always ha having fun. So no one is really... Uh, pointing out or criticizing someone or if someone's being late in their deadlines or actually they don't have these solid deadlines at all. So all of this actually uh, puts a negative effect on the um, more structure and order part of happiness. So that's what I mean by keeping an optimum balance. So of course, work shouldn't be all fun because then it affects some other needs of happiness that are more serious. But at the same time, uh, you need to make sure that your order and structure is not causing uh, lack of uh, community and belonging. And you're talking in your research about when you're also talking about the introduction of happiness and um, the eventual framework you're using, that like an ultimate goal you could see is achieving a happiness mindset. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what you exactly mean by that? That was a very, uh, <laughs> it was a lot of uh, conversations and uh, discussions that went into it, that what is it that actually I want to achieve out of my project? And first it was that, okay, I will probably come up with a very uh, tangible and actionable way of uh, delivering outcomes. So um, the companies or uh, social systems can do something about it. But then uh, the more and more research I did, it turned out, as I already said, that I or any person from the HR or any external facilitator cannot really do something about it. They can read as much of these actionable insights. They can come up with these clever designs, apps or workshops to improve the happiness. But at the end of the day, if the group of people is not in this mindset, if their perceptions are not ready to accept all of this, then there's no point. So that's where this idea of bringing people in a happiness mindset came in from, that you need to put them in this process themselves. So the whole idea of co-creation and collaboration exists there, that whoever is trying to help them will involve them in the process from start to the end. And if you keep doing this process at the end of the day, it will become like a second nature to them, just like driving a car. You don't really think about when you're uh, pressing the clutch and when you have to press the brake. It's just, it's just very natural. You don't have to look at it as well. So that's the whole concept that it becomes a second nature for you to just start evaluating everything that you do at work uh, that, oh, wow, this is actually really harmful for my need of order. I shouldn't be doing this. So in that way. And what could people do to achieve that happiness mindset? 
It's just as simple as, um, well, I'm being commercial and I will say, go look at the uh, process that I came up with. But yeah. um, no, I would say it's, it's really as simple as just uh, taking um, these, these needs. And I would say just take any needs. You can just take Maslow's need pyramid or just Google needs for happiness. There's actually another, I forgot the name of the author. Uh, he came up with especially uh, two categories of um, the factors, he called them, that are needed to be happy uh, for employee happiness. So that was results and relationships. So results, he defined like, okay, you have to be uh, productive. You need to feel that you're doing meaningful work and uh, you have an impact. And relationship is just your um, yeah, relation with your colleagues and how your relation with your company. So you can just take these two or take these 13 needs or um, take any other group of needs and just start this practice of noticing down, noting down on a notebook or just making mental notes if that works for you in a day, just diagnosing or decoding that these are the five key activities I did today and how much did this activity add to this need, this need, this need, or how much this activity actually harmed this need, this need. So when you do it two, three times, you automatically start doing that in your head over and over again just makes me think about um, the author you just mentioned about the quote of sigmund freud who said love yeah. and work are the cornerstones of our humanness and i, I think that's a very essential truth is that there, our happiness is built off of two things primarily and that's the quality of your relationships and and the quality or your perception of what you do for work. And what would you say to someone who is now in a situation, because there are many, many people who are in this situation, I'm at least convinced of this, and we don't actually know about everyone who is, because yeah, we just also talked about how hard it is to open up about it. And what would you say to someone who is now in a situation where she or he thinks that she's very unhappy in that situation? Mm-hmm. Um, what would be the first step for her, for him? Note down some key activities uh, that you've done um, that just stand out in your memory and just diagnose, dissect them based on those needs that, uh, as I said, I use this phenomenology. So just ask a lot of why questions that um, I, for example, I will just say that, okay, I skipped breakfast yesterday and I will just write that down. And that made me feel good or bad? Well, it made me feel bad. Why did it make me feel bad? Because I was hungry. Why? Like, as in just keep asking these why questions and that will help you tap into this deeper uh, consciousness of yours. And that will help you uh, bring out that what is it that's actually wrong uh, at my work or at my house or any social context that is it the lack of uh, order? Is it the lack of uh, feeling belonged? Is it the lack of autonomy? So these kind of things will start uh, appearing uh, when you do this kind of practice two or three times. And I guess there's also a big need of, of getting to know yourself along the process, right? Because exactly, you know, yeah. there are many people who find it a challenge to actually know who they are and let alone to decide whatever you, work you should be doing to be happy. Yeah, and... Just to add to that, uh, like this self-discovery goes along uh, with like happiness and self-discovery is very intertwined as well. And this practice of 
dissecting your activities, dissecting your uh, day. And as designers, we also do that a lot for products. So for example, just pick up a product that makes you really happy uh, and just uh, start dissecting that. It can be just a service as well. For example, just take Netflix and just say that, okay, why does Netflix make me so happy? Uh, because I can watch a lot of movies on that. So why is that important to me? Because I like to have a variety. Why is that important to me? Because I like to just have this excitement of uh, a lot of option or things like that. And that's, I think that's leading to the need of stimulation. So there's a need for a human need to be stimulated. All right, that's that's uh, awesome, man. I, I, th I really appreciate your um, dedication for this research and your insights. I, I think it's a, it's a topic where you can benefit so much from so little actual action. Like if you yeah. compare this to the, the, the work you do, like some people are working 80 hours. And if you would mm -hmm. just spend one of those hours with just reflecting on whatever you're doing and if that makes you happy and how you can do it more effectively so it makes you happy, um, it, it would benefit like the entire, literally the entire world. So that's... <laughs> I think, That's true. I think a huge potential impact also, of course, of your, uh, of your research and your insights. So I'm very happy to share those with the world as well. Do you have any final thought or any um, closing line that you want to leave our listeners with? First, of course, there's a thank you that goes to you as well, that you're starting the initiative to bring this topic out there and also sharing your own story. That's also... Uh, I really appreciate that. And that's also really, uh, it takes a lot of courage to put it out there. And also then a lot of people who can relate to it, they feel that they're not alone in this, that uh, it, it's it's as natural and as normal as just being human, that these things exist. Sometimes in life, you do come to a down. And then uh, some people are really good at it naturally to pick themselves back up. Uh, they're already doing this. They already, their instincts are telling them that your need of uh, um, autonomy is, is being harmed. Just do something. And they start doing those activities that help them uh, regain those uh, feelings. But some people are not. Some people just get confused more and more that why is my life falling to pieces or falling apart? Especially in this pandemic, we saw that as well, that it was an unexpected uh, obstacle in everybody's life it added a consequence or multiple consequences for so many people and they didn't know who to blame where to point it out or everybody was just sitting there confused that why am I feeling so bad even though my work is still going on okay it's work from home my back hurts but okay that's a physical problem but why is that mental pressure there so uh, you can just use this um, pandemic's consequences as a as a thing to dissect as well. That why did it cause me so much frustration? Was it because I couldn't see my family? My need of belonging was uh, being hurt? Was it because I couldn't uh, go out in bars or clubs and dance? Like my need of stimulation was being hurt. So or multiple needs are actually maybe it will it was doing something good to me as well maybe i was being more autonomous maybe i was spending more time at home and uh, adding more uh, structure to my life so just look out for each other uh, for people who can't put, put uh, pick themselves back up just help them pick themselves back up by the processes that you use to uh, make yourself feel happy, uh, just help them, share with them, just like you shared your story that might have inspired and helped so many other people to reflect on how they can 
take charge of their life and be proactive to do something about it. Thank you, Mas. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Yuma. Thank you for listening in to the Happiness of Pursuit podcast. Until next time.